Amen. I want to read two different portions of Scripture this morning. We're going to read first from Joshua chapter 3, and then we're going to read from the book of Ezekiel uh, chapter 47. And if you've ever read Ezekiel, that's like a really scary book. So it's like this guy says some stuff that you're like, wow. Like if you're a brand new Christian and the very first book that you read is Ezekiel, you're like, whoa, what did I get myself into? Um, well, a uh, little side note for today, um, e- Ezekiel's a prophet, and uh, the message that he brings um, is pretty awesome. And so today, uh, just kind of in the spirit of that, I'm going to say some things that hopefully on, on, on one hand uh, is going to, uh, you'll probably understand right off the bat, but on the other hand, I'm going to purposely leave open to some interpretation for your own life and how God is moving uh, in and through you. So let's read. Uh, Joshua chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Achaia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before the crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your position and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. And then Jonathan, and then Joshua, I'm sorry, Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Now in the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and they went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all of Israel. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this commandment to the the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Take a few steps into the river and then stop there. Now turn with me to the right, to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 47. This is a vision that he has. It says this, in my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway, and he led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out throughout the south side of the east gateway. Now, measuring as he went, he took me along this stream for about 1,750 feet, and then he led me across the water, The water was, and it was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Have you been watching? He led me back along the riverbank. So he like goes in reverse here. 
he's leading them back. And it says, when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of the river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the side of the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from Engedi to England. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. It's going to be a good fishing day. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. Uh, but the marshes and the swamps, they will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of every kind will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of the trees will turn brown in the fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food, and the leaves for the healing of the nations. Or for healing. So, real quick, back up. In Joshua, here you have the people of God getting ready to cross over. This, uh, and these instructions come to Joshua, and he then in turn tells the people uh, of Israel, tells the people of God what's going to happen. And, and the instructions are pretty clear. They, they arrive at the spot, they're right there by the river, and the first thing they do is they camp out. They spend a few days just camping and resting, and then Jonathan tells them, listen, uh, I keep saying Jonathan because Jonathan's on my mind. It's Joshua. Some of y'all are like, no, it wasn't Jonathan. I know, it's Joshua. I'm just thinking about the baby. And Anyway, Joshua is right there. He's leading the people. Forgive me. Give me some grace. And they're camping, they're resting, and then he gets in front of the people and says, listen, we're going to purify ourselves. God's getting ready to move. There's some change that's getting ready to happen. We're getting ready to cross over. And when you see the ark move, follow. When the ark moves, you move. Ark doesn't move, you don't move. It stays there, you stay there. So in the meantime, just rest, camp, purify yourselves, get ready, because we are on the edge of promise. Now, this is the edge of, this is generations and generations. We have uh, grandpas and great-grandpas and great-great-grandpas that, that they've lived in slavery. All they know, and they've had these hopes of, like, one day there's going to be freedom. One day there's going to be a promised land. And so they are on the edge of it. They are, it is Christmas Eve. And the hoverboard is going to be released the next day. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Ever since Back to the Future Part 2, I have wanted the hoverboard. And I, the day that it, I'm telling you, I will be that guy in line and camp out for two weeks to get one. Because there's still hope in my heart that there, it will happen. You know, even though it hasn't happened and the DeLorean time machine has gone by, but still, when it does, buy stock in that company. Because, like, like, but that's the moment. There's all of this waiting, all of this anticipation, and it's getting ready to move. And, and the instructions are very clear. When he moves, we move. Sounds simple, right? And yet this is the hardest thing 
to do sometimes, to simply wait on God, to simply say, all right, God, if you ain't moving, we ain't moving. Because there's something inside of us that's like, well, I just got to do something. All right, all right, let's, let's, let's go in right, right here. It's on the edge. Let's, 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 let's get ready. Let's do something. And, and we've got to put it all this. We want to. And God's just like, just chill. Just chill. When you see me move, you move. And, and the Bible tells us that, listen, that he's never early and he's never late. Let's, let's be honest. That's super annoying. Because it feels like he's late a lot. It feels like, God, you were supposed to show up for this. You, you were supposed to be here at this moment and this time, and it, it hasn't came. God, did you not get the timetable? Did we not? We prayed about this, and I told you what I was going to be doing. And sometimes it just seems like, I know you're never early and never you're late, but how is it that just you're, I don't, you know, I don't get it. And then there's that person that comes up to you, and, and you know, something's happened. The deal has fallen through. You lost the house. You lost the deal. You lost the car. You lost uh, whatever it was. And then, then there's your Christian friend that comes up to b- beside you and says, it's all in God's timing. And you're just like, don't let me punch you in the face right now. <laughs> because even though you know that, you're like, no. Like, what, what are you talking about? And like, but here's the thing. Then there's these moments in Scripture where you even look at the life of Jesus. And you look, and, and imagine it from Mary's perspective for a moment. Mary has had this encounter with an angel. She's had something that's happened to her that it's the only time in all of history that ever will happen that a virgin gets pregnant. I mean, this is crazy. If you're a virgin and you get pregnant, I mean, it's just, wow. You know, something, this is God. This is something is going on. And, and then you give birth to the Savior of the world, right? I mean, how do you rock this baby to sleep? I mean, like, like you made me, and yet somehow, you know, you could just imagine. But then here's the thing. For the next 30 years, basically nothing. For the next 30 years, we don't hear all this, we, there's, there's no, all these miracles. For the next 30 years, there's no, there's, there's, there's one little portion of scripture of this moment where Jesus gets left behind at the temple, and his parents are like, where did we leave Jesus? Oh, there he goes. And, and like, that's all we got. Imagine it for a moment, what, what Mary's going through of like, you would have thought that she's like, come on, Jesus, I, I kind of expected a little more out of you. You know, you know, 13, 14, 15, he's growing up. 19, 20, 21, 22, he's still at home. It's like, Jesus, maybe you need to go get a job or something. 23, 24, he's still at home. Like, savior of the world over here, but like, I don't know, we kind of expected some more stuff out of you, Jesus. When are you going to get, and like nothing. And, And then there's this moment where they show up to a wedding, and the wedding party, they've run out of wine. Mary comes up to Jesus and is like, hey, listen, they're out of wine. Take care of it. And Jesus, woman, what does this have to do with me? And to which she replies, she looks at the disciples. Remember, like nothing's happened yet. She looks at 
do whatever he says to do, and then just walks off. As if like, Jesus, you know you're going to take care of this. You ain't got no choice. But then Jesus says this, you know that my time has not yet come. Now this is very interesting. Because on the heels of him bearing very specifically telling his mom, my time has not yet come. Just a few moments later, he's turning water into wine. And he's performing this miracle. It's like, wait a minute. And, and so like, I read tons of commentaries on this portion of Scripture trying to figure out, like, like what? He just said his time wasn't come, but then he does it. Why, why does this happen? And, and all of these different theologians were trying. And at the end of the day, they're like, I don't know. You know, the smartest people in the world were, I, I don't know. It just, it, it, it's just, he just did it. He just, okay, so it, it kind of, it answers the question, how do you know it's time to move when your mom tells you to? <laughs> okay, that's not the lesson. That was a joke, y'all. That was a joke. But, here's the, but, but it does ask the question, how do you know? How do you know when it's time? Because Jesus has been even clear that, listen, my time has not yet come, and then this miracle happens anyway. But, and the Bible doesn't say this, but there's a part of you that makes you think, listen, he's at this wedding, and the miracle doesn't happen until they run out, until they run out of wine. See, it's, I think it, it's not until that point that we come to the end of ourselves. When we come to the point, listen, there's no plan B. There's no, we have some other wine on the side, and if that wine runs out, we could have this wine. And there's no, like, well, if this happens, we could do this. It's like, they're out, and if they're out, well, the party's over. And it's like, this is the moment. When you come to the end of you, when you come to the end of, this is all of the work and all of the, the labor, and I've labored as hard as I can, I've worked as hard. God, if you don't come through, and even though it's not the right time, that's the moment, I think, in which God shows up. God, even in the moment where you say, okay, because you're at the end of you, I could work with that. I can work with that. It ran out. And see, I, I believe it shows us something else. I, I think God starts moving when we stop. See, even here with, with, with Joshua, and, and they're there. It's like, first of all, before we go anywhere else, just camp and wait, and pause, and rest. And when you finally stopped, then I'm going to move. When we stop, when we pause, when we wait, he moves when we stop. And, and then it says this, uh, and Joshua says, listen, this is what you're going to do. You're going to follow the ark. The ark's moving, you're moving. But listen, we've never been this way before. We've never been this way before. See, listen, we talk about change and we want change. We want things to be different. That means we have to be willing to go a different way. We have to be willing to do something that we've never done before. We have to be willing to step out and, and begin to proceed in a direction that, well, it's brand new to us. Um, years ago, I had this one gentleman, uh, he spoke to me after church and he said, hey, Lucas, um, you know, I just need to get with you. Can we have a talk? And, and there's moments that as a pastor, when someone says this to you, you know by the tone in your voice that you don't want to have this conversation. You're like, oh, Lord. Like, okay. Uh, and I'll, So I go to his house, and probably for about 30 minutes, 
he just kind of slammed me on everything that I was doing wrong. And I was like, like nice, I'm glad I came over. And, uh, you know, telling me all these things. But here's the thing, like, if you know me, I love helpful criticism. I love getting good, solid feedback. But there's a huge difference between helpful criticism and bashful, tear-you-down criticism. And, and you know it when you hear it. And, 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 and he just, he's talking to me about all these things, and he be- begins to list all of these churches that he's been a part of. And he was like, in this church, we did it this way, and so you should do it this way. And then when I was a part of this church, we did it this way, and, and this is how you should do it. And, and then when I was at this other church, it was this church, and when we did it this way. And then so I just let him talk, and I let him finish. And, and I said, uh, sir, man, that, that's great, but let me ask you this. Why did you leave all of those churches? And yet you want me to do all of the things that caused you to leave those in the first place. So you're trying to change me into something that you didn't even want. Right? And see, because the thing is, sometimes when there's something new, when there's something different, it scares us a little bit. Just the other day, I'm in the car, and I'm with Ray and a couple other guys, and we're driving to Myrtle Beach, and I get off to take this one exit, and Ray says, hey, Lucas, no, you shouldn't take this exit. You should just keep going straight. And I'm like, no. Like, he's like, no, if you go this way, it's faster. I'm like, I'm already committed to this lane, bro. I'm sorry, you know, and I didn't take it. But the reason why I didn't go the way he told me to is because I hadn't gone that way before. And to go the way that I hadn't gone before means I had to put my trust in Ray. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Y'all got to apply this to your own lives. I'm telling you all my own faults. But the fact is I got home and I GPSed it and I did all that. And I was like, he's right. <laughs> I was like, man. But I didn't do it because I was scared. I was scared because it was something that I had never done before. And it was just as something as simple as driving. Like, you know, and God says, listen, if you're going to follow me into something new, if you're going to be a, a, a part of this generation that's on the cut, listen, I'm going to take you to a way that you've never been before. I'm going to take you through a way that you've never been before. And see, like, we like the idea of change. We like the idea of adventure and risk and all of these things. Uh, but, but we want to do it without any faith. We want to do it with, like, knowing every step of the process and let me just tell you, adventure doesn't work that way. Adventure, as a matter of fact, adventure doesn't start until everything has gone wrong. I'm serious. Uh, there's this interview, and I think I've, I've told this before, but there was this wonderful, wonderful interview. There's this documentary called um, 180 South, and it has the founder of Patagonia and the founder of North Face, and they're talking about mountain climbing. And they're talking about climbing uh, Everest at one point, and they're just talking about their journey of how they did all these climbs in the 70s and stuff. And then they were saying how nowadays all you have to do is you could pay, you could pay uh, the Sherpas and you could go to Nepal and you could give them $80,000 and you can climb Everest. And they'll have all of the, the, the bridges laid out, all of the rope already laid out. And you could go, and you could just go and climb Everest. And when you get to base camp, they'll have tents all there, and they'll be waiting for you with a cup of tea. Right? And, and people will leave there thinking that they climbed the mountain. 
But the thing is, like, what people don't, and this is their conversation, he says, like, what people don't understand is the journey is part of the climb. The journey is part of the process. And, and if, you've, if you just paid and someone else has done all the work, the, the mountain has really yet to take its effect on you. And he even, he uses some choice words, but he says, listen, if you start off a jerk, you end up a jerk. But if you've climbed the mountain for you, you might have started out one way, but a change happens along. See, there's these moments, he says, when we, we've been climbing, and, and the gear failed, and, and something happened, and storms came in, and, and nothing went right. He said, that's when the adventure starts. That's when the risk starts. That's when the faith starts. And that's the same thing that's true of our lives as Christians. And we want to do everything we can to say that we want to live a life of adventure while minimizing our faith. And it does not work that way. Jesus is like, listen, if you want to follow me, this is how I'm doing it. This is how I'm going. I'm going to go in a direction that you've never been before. And I'm not telling you all the steps along the way. You've just got to follow. And when I move, you move. And when I stop, you stop. But God, it would be so much easier if I could just plug it into my GPS and you told me what I was going to do next year. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. And, and then there's this moment that says, listen, all right, this is what you're going to do. Uh, the, the Levites, they are going to pick up the ark and they're going to go down to this river and they are going to step in the river and when they get their feet wet, stop. Now this is huge. Because remember, this is the people that uh, 40, 40 years earlier, Moses was leading them. And they have walked through the Red Sea. They have seen the waters part, right? But whenever Moses did it, all he had to do was walk up to the waters, hold his staff, and they parted. It's like, what? So it's like, if you're there and you're thinking, wait a minute, hold on, this isn't how, this isn't how Moses did it. Moses didn't have to get his feet wet. You're telling us we do? Yep. But, but what if it doesn't work? Like, you're not doing it the way that, that we're used to. But this is how you're going to do it this time, God says. I know at one point in time, all you had to do was raise the staff. This time, though, you've got to get your feet wet. Next time, maybe you've got to go up until there's water up to your knees. Next time, maybe you've got to go up until there's water up to your waist. Maybe there's going to come a point where you can't even walk anymore, and the only way you're going to get through is to swim. And Ezekiel says, this is the way the gospel works. This is the way that faith works. And if you're constantly waiting to just sit back and just hold the rod, God's like, no, no, no. It's, it's actually going to get harder as you go along. That's the way it's designed. Yeah, I, I gave you all some manna uh, in the desert, but the second that you all get in this promised land, that's going to stop. You all have got some crops to plant yourself. And your faith is going to take on a whole new dynamic. And, and some of us are frustrated with God because we're, we're stepping out in faith. But we're, well, let's be honest, we're just in the same place that we've been for the last 20 years. We're just in knee-deep water maybe. God's like, yeah, go a little bit deeper. Love a little bit more. Be a little bit more gracious to your wife. Be a little bit more forgiving to your coworker. Be more, a little bit more generous with your money. And all of these things. And it's just like, wait, hold on, God, but you've done it this way before. Can we just stay at the ankle deep water? That's nice. That's the safe zone. There's still a measure of faith. 
it's still good, it's still, it's still fun down here, I still love you and believe in you and all, all of that stuff. And, and the prophet's like, no, 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 you've, you've got to go. And the further and further out, the more and more we find ourselves trusting. And then there's this moment as God has led him along that there's a pause, there's a stop. And he says this, have you been watching? Take a moment to turn and look around. Have you been watching? This desert place is now flourishing with life. In a place where there was no life before, now there's trees growing up uh, along the sides of it. There's this water that's flowing from the throne room through this desert place, and the desert is a desert no more. And wherever this water hits, wherever this gospel goes out, life goes out. Have you not been washing? Listen, it's even going through this, to this Dead Sea. Now, if you facts about the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth. 423 meters, almost 1,400 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth, it's 8.6 times saltier than the ocean. There is no life in the Dead Sea. There's no fish life in the Dead Sea. The only thing that could grow there is certain forms of bacteria. There's nothing there. And God said, have you not been watching? This is the place. This where is where life is going to spring up from. And, and what's amazing is where the Dead Sea is. It, it's 15 miles east of Jerusalem. It, it's the lowest point on earth. And yet this is the place out of all of creation that God says, and this is going to be pretty much the epicenter of where faith is going to rise up from. In Jerusalem. In Israel. I'm going to send my son to this place, to what looks like the lowest place. It looks like there's no life at all. There's nothing, and this is where it's going to start. Have you not been watching? Listen, the gospel spreads from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And this unknown family from this unknown town gives birth to the Savior of the world. And 2,000 years later, we're starting to see the fruit come from what has happened in Israel. Look, have you not been watching? They have tried time and time again to kill the gospel, to, to say that no more, to try to burn all of the Bibles, to get rid of it. And yet Christianity continues to flourish. Contrary to popular belief, like Christianity is growing and growing stronger and stronger, and there is more and more life. Why? Because it's Jesus. And he says, listen, what happens is it starts from this place, and, and I want you to take a look. Have you not been looking? Now look at, look at this river that's flying. Now there's fishermen that's all lined up upon this river. Like, this is not where people fish. You don't fish in a place that doesn't have any fish. Right? And yet Jesus says, listen, there's going to be lines of fishermen catching all of these fish, all different types of fish. All of the types of fish that are in the Mediterranean, they're going to be in this place, the very least likely place that you thought they would be. The very lowest place on earth. Why? Because when my gospel goes out and makes that what was unpure, pure. And it's the power of the gospel. And all of these fishermen will be lined up. All types of fish. Brown fish, white fish, 
yellow fish. There's no such thing as a white church or a black church or a Spanish church. There is just his church. And when the gospel goes out, it touches every people, every nation, every people group, every language, every tribe, every tongue would hear the gospel. And out of this desert place, out of this place where nothing grows, the hillsides begin to flourish. And there's fruit trees on the banks. What? You don't get no oranges down by the river. You don't get no oranges by the salt, all that. No, no, no. That's that's the place that I'm going to work. See, I think sometimes it's like God's saying, listen, you've been looking in the place that you thought there was no life. And God says, that's the exact spot that I'm going to spring it from. Could it be that the harvest is right in front of us? But maybe we just need to go fishing where everyone else said there is none. And God says, yeah, this is how you're going to do it. It's going to start off ankle deep and then knee deep and waist deep. Because there's only one way to do it, and that's by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because the fact is, he's the one doing all the work. All we have to do is, when you move, we move. And when you stop, God, we stop. Because here's the thing. As believers, as people of God, we really have two jobs. One plants, one waters, but God brings the increase. So we plant and we water. That's what we do. We plant seeds, we water seeds. We can't make them grow. We can't make them grow. You can't save anybody. You can't fix everybody's problems. You can't do A, B, C, and D and help save somebody's marriage and, and do this for your kids and, 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 and end poverty and end all of these problems around the world. You can't do it. There's only one that can do that. But all we do, we plant the seeds. And here's the thing about planting the seeds. Sometimes you've got to plant seeds that other people are going to harvest. See, just a few weeks ago, Jonathan gave his heart to the Lord. And we were able to see and express the harvest that morning. But the thing is, that harvest that, has, that took place that day, as he gave his life to Christ, came because of seeds that were planted in his life a long time ago. Prayers from his grandma, from his, from his family, from his friends, from people that he doesn't even know, praying over his life. And for as far as they know, they don't even know yet. And sometimes that's got to be our case. We've got to plant seeds that other people will reap the harvest. Because there's times where, yeah, we just get to pour some water on it. And sometimes we get to plant it, but sometimes we're lucky enough to see the harvest. And there will come a day when all of us stand before our creator in heaven and we just see just how huge the harvest is. And, and I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, sometimes we look and we think people like Billy Graham and people that have, man, they've got to have a, such a tremendous harvest, and they will. But I guarantee you, heaven will be filled with all of these people that we do not know their names. 
We know who is that? Who is that grandma that's been praying for 50 years and, and there's like this line of people that she's brought into the kingdom and no one even knew? She planted some seeds that maybe Billy Graham got to see the harvest. Have you not been watching? Listen, where the gospel touches, things grow. Even if it's a desert place, even if it's a dead sea, things grow. Listen, if you water it, it will grow. I was tempted to say, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> I don't know why, I just Kevin Costner just came on. It's true, though. If you water it, it will grow. What are you watering? You want your marriage to get better? Are you watering it? You want this, this? Are you watering it? You can't bring the increase. That's all on God. But we as people of God, we've got to plant the seed. We've got to water the seed. And God will have it grow. I have the worship team come back up. See, I think sometimes I, I, I look at uh, the news, Facebook feeds, and all this stuff, and there's even this talk, and there's this language that people think that, man, everything is getting so bad. No, it's not. No, it's not. The fact is we're just getting deeper, and it takes more faith. It just means that like, we've just been in, like, maybe some knee-deep water, and God's putting us in some waist-deep water. Yeah, maybe there's some things that are happening around the globe, but God's saying, like, I'm going to bring you to a place where, listen, you can't even walk no more. You're going to have to swim. I've called you out. I've called you from faith to faith. I've called you to take greater steps. And this is how it looks. It starts with rest. Starts with just pausing and waiting and saying, God, if you don't move, we don't move. And God, if you want to take me in a place that I've never been before, I know that Moses didn't get, have to get his feet wet, but I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to get my feet wet. And I know that they just had to go ankle deep, but God, if you need me to go knee deep, I'll do that too. If you need me to go a little bit further, God, I'm willing to do that. Just as long as where you go, I'll go. As long as I stay close to you, Jesus. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.
Come on, be 